I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur. A relic of the Cold War. M. Judy Dench. Goldeneye, 1995. Directed by Martin Campbell. Sorry to subject you guys to that, but if I had to endure it, so did you. Welcome back to Flicks with Critch. We'll be discussing Goldeneye, 1995, directed by Martin Campbell. So what you just heard was Tina Turner performing the title track, Goldeneye, in a sample from Eric Serra's score? Question mark? Because I don't know what you call that. I guess it's music. But we'll touch more on that later. This film. Very excited to talk about it. One of my favorites of all time. One of my favorite James Bonds. If not the favorite James Bond of mine. I love Pierce Brosnan. I love this movie. So this is just going to be a giant love fest for Goldeneye. We'll go through some fun production stories. Some scenes that I think gives its stamp on the franchise and lends credence to my statement that I think this is the best James Bond film. And we'll play that fun game. Do you know who's in that film? So it's 1995. James Bond hadn't been on the big screen since License to Kill in 1989. The studio and production company had gone through a myriad of financial troubles. They had to sell properties and licensings, and it just kept changing hands and hands until finally they landed at United Artists. They also changed lead actors. Timothy Dalton had just done The Living Daylights, followed up by License to Kill. And then all these issues started happening, and his Patience kind of grew thin with the role, and essentially he said, I just don't want to do it anymore. So he got out of that third film that he was contracted for, which would have been Goldeneye, and they had to start from scratch. They had to start over and find somebody new. Interestingly enough, Pierce Brosnan's then-wife was a Bond girl in the film For Your Eyes Only during the Roger Moore era, and producers saw this guy hanging around on set and were like... You know, you kind of look like a James Bond type, so we'll keep you in mind. And they did. They kept him on the back burner. And then when Roger Moore had announced his retirement from the role, they basically got Brosnan to do it, but he was stuck in uh he was stuck in contractual obligations with a show he was doing for NBC called Remington Steel, and they had canceled it, but had an option to pick it back up. 
And on my last day, after he had got the role of James Bond, the last day that NBC had the option to pick this show up, they did, basically screwing him out of it. So then Dalton got the role, made the two films, then the financial troubles happened, and the door opened for Brosnan again. And he wasn't going to miss the opportunity twice. So, he got it. Then they brought on director Martin Campbell, whose career at this point has been mostly just TV, action TV, that is, but a lot of BBC action series. Unfortunately, in 1991, Richard Maybaum died. He was one of the writers who had worked on almost all of the Bond films, so they had to replace him. Also, the Cold War had ended, and one of Bond's greatest adversaries was the Russians. So when the wall fell... You know, the Allies kind of had a victory there, and they weren't sure how to take the franchise forward without the Cold War element, which was such a big part of the Connery and Moore era. But they decided ultimately, you know, governments still have secrets and things to protect, and they need people to ensure that protection. But would an audience need that? Would they believe they needed that? Basically, there was buzz in the movie industry that this was a a $60 million gamble that probably wasn't worth taking. But in their tradition of facing adversity, the franchise moved forward. And that's, again, one of the things I love about this franchise. No matter who's in the tux, who's behind the camera, they want to tell the story and bring in Fleming's James Bond to life. He set out on a quest to tell the spy story to end all spy stories. And they're still on it. And in my opinion, that's awesome. So let's touch on the cast that rounds out the picture. We have Sean Bean as Alec Trevelyan. Isabella Skorupko as Natalia. Famke Jensen as Xenia Onatop. Jodan Baker as Jack Wade. Dame Judi Dench as M. Robbie Coltrane as Valentin Sikowski. And of course, Desmond Llewellyn as Q. Alan Cummings also in this movie, as a turncoat named Boris Grishingo. And you have a great performance from an actor named Gottfried John as Colonel Aramov. So that's a decent little supporting cast. I think all the actors did a fine job, especially the villains. Because sometimes movies like these, you know, your hero is only as good as your villains. And these ones are great. You know, they have the master plan of world domination and... And the henchman is way over the top, literally suffocating guys with her thighs. (laughs) You gotta appreciate that. And the actress, Famke Jensen, who played her. She literally broke a rib doing the uh, sauna scene when Brosnan threw her against a wall. If that's not dedication, I don't know what is. Speaking of injuries, there's a scene where Brosnan is in a... Russian nightclub and he's holding a gun to the back of somebody's head and there's such a tight focus on the hand that's holding the gun. Uh, In pre-production, Brosnan had been working out, getting jacked for the role and he broke, or he tore a tendon or two in one of the fingers in his hand so he couldn't get it to grasp the handle of the gun. So in essence, he had to like glue it down because it kept, you know, prostrating forward. And this was like day one of shooting. And the director 
was like, great, this guy's messing up my movie already. <laughs> Fun little note there. So that's the villains. Let's talk about the allies. The introduction of Dame Judy Dench as M. Throughout the whole series, it's been played by guys. And it was kind of a controversial recast, if you will. But my God, I mean, upon retrospect, <laughs> she's incredible in this part as the maternal figure of James Bond. I mean, through this era, through the Craig era, really, really exceptional. And do you expect any less from her at this point? And then you have Robbie Coltrane as Valentin Zukovsky, who has one of the best digs in the movie uh, when he sits James Bond down and he looks at his henchmen and he's like, charming, sophisticated, secret agent, and they all have a laugh at him. Because I think the series kind of became a little bit self-aware, and they wanted to, you know, throw a dig or two at kind of the pastiche, cliched Bond films that came before this. And one of the great criticisms that still gets brought up today is the soundtrack. So as I mentioned before, Tina Turner did the theme song. But what people probably don't know is that Bono and The Edge wrote the lyrics for it from the famous rock band U2. And another fun fact, just to really hammer home how 90s it was, Ace of Bass was asked to record a title theme for this. And they did. And I think you can find it on YouTube somewhere. It's an interesting listen compared to what the final product for this would end up being. But the score by Eric Serrar. I don't know what movie this guy thought he was scoring, but this is a Bond film. You expect big, bombastic horns and percussion, like from the John Barry era soundtracks. Even Marvin Hamlish's, it just missed the mark. And I actually like his work on other films like Leon the Professional and uh, The Fifth Element. I think they work really well on those. But here, it's just like, experimental I don't even know what to call it but it just doesn't work apparently they had it scored by another composer but they ended up going with this version and then I believe some of it isn't his in the final movie like during the tank chase I think they brought in another composer to do that sequence and just a few other like a few other notable Bond centric themes I believe the replacement composer did, but for the for the most part, it's Eric Serra's. There's one or two scenes that work for me, like uh, when they're in the statues and uh, on the beach, more the melodramatic scores, but the action-y scores, holy sh... Oof, rough. So speaking of scenes, let's dive into some and critique them and uh, talk about why they make, in my opinion, this the best James Bond film. Enjoy it, while it lasts. The very words I live by. And what words do you live by? The trick is to quit while you're still here. Well, that's one trick I've never learned. Perhaps you'll show me how it's done. 
Vodka martini. Shaken, not stirred. And for you? The same. How do you take it? Straight up. With a twist. Thank you, Mr. The name's Bond. James Bond. Love how the music cuts out when he says the famous name title. So when he was preparing for this role, obviously he knew he had to say those famous words. But he didn't know how to say them. Whether he was going to go with the kind of Sean Connery version or the Roger Moore version. And in the end, he basically just said he invited both voices in to give an interpretation. Or a combination, rather. I also love the Baccarat scene that plays out before this and all the (laughs) quips that are in there. Especially the last one, which you hear in that clip. Uh, Enjoy it. He, He wins a bunch of money and she says... Enjoy it while it lasts. And he says, those are the very words I live by. That's what made him such a good James Bond. He was so sharp and quick with his witticisms, but he's also a cold-blooded killer. Fun fact, I believe somebody somewhere did the research and added up all uh, you know, the, the deaths or the James Bond kills. And Pierce Brosnan holds the, uh, holds the crown on that one. The deadliest James Bond, you could say. You don't like me, Bond. You don't like my methods. You think I'm an accountant. A bean counter more interested in my numbers and your instincts. The thought had occurred to me. Good. Because I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur. A relic of the Cold War. Whose boyish charms, though wasted on me, obviously appeal to that young woman I sent out to evaluate you. Point taken. Not quite, W7. If you think for one moment I don't have the balls to send a man out to die, your instincts are dead wrong. I've no compunction about sending you to your death. But I won't do it on a whim, even with your cavalier attitude towards life. (laughs) Got him. God, that's so good. Obviously, if you've seen any movie previously in this franchise, you know that Bernard Lee played M. But they, you know, they had more of a, a co-worker understanding mutual respect for each other. Here, M is just being a boss lady. And it's so awesome. And Bond just has to kind of sit there and take it as they kind of learn their new dynamic. Again, this was the film that she was introduced as M, a very poignant uh, part of the series, moment in the series. And it, it is so great. They're just breaking new ground. And it's so refreshing what this film was doing with that. And the dynamic that's developed in this era and in the Craig era is, is so good. The chemistry that's there between Brosnan and Judy Dench that, that will develop during his tenure of the series and that Craig develops during his. I mean, she's just a remarkable actress. And again, what another better way to put a stamp on the reboot of the franchise than do this casting? Because it's Judy Dench. And she could walk across the street and I'd say, Give her the Oscar. <laughs> Two-faced Roman god come to life. It wasn't God who gave me this face. It was you setting the timers for three minutes instead of six. Am I supposed to feel sorry for you? No. You were supposed to die for me. <laughs> oh, by the way, I did think of asking you to join my little scheme, but somehow I knew... 
007's loyalty was always to the mission, never to his friend. Closing time, James. Last call. It wasn't Card who gave me this face. It was you. <laughs> Sean Bean, Alec Trevelyan. Basically, if you haven't seen the movie, all spoilers ahead. So you could either end the episode now or just grin and bear through it. Sean Bean plays Alec Trevelyan, 006, fakes his own death, comes back, betrays his best friend, 007, but it sets up this awesome dynamic of spy versus spy, like they're the antithesis of each other. You know, they both came up the same, they both trained, learned the same stuff, had countless missions together, and then 006 Trevelyan comes back and stabs Bond in the back. And it just gives this great dynamic of like, you know, we were brothers once upon a time, and now you're my enemy. And so there's emotional stakes. And I think that got lost in a lot of Bond films before this. There was no, you know, levity or emotional gravity to the situation that kind of, you know, opened up the viewers to thinking that this franchise was more than just action. There's drama here. And again, you know, there's caricature villains in past installments, but these you kind of can, you know, grow with or, or sympathize with sort of. They're villains that you may or may not care about. Um, and that's one of the factors that I think enhanced this film. You definitely know Bond cares. So inherently, the viewer should. More than just, it's a mission, it's personal. He was a friend, Trevelyan. And now he's your enemy and you will kill him. It is that simple. In a word, yes. Unless he kills you first. You think I'm impressed? All of you with your guns, your killing, your death, for what? So you can be a hero? All the heroes I know are dead. Italian, listen to me. How can you act like this? How can you be so cold? It's what keeps me alive. It's what keeps me alive. <laughs> I'm sorry, but these are like my favorite lines from the movie. Nice little tender moment between Bond and the Bond girl. Natalia, played by Isabella Skrepko. Some people would say that these kind of tender moments that happened throughout Brosnan's tenure planted the seeds of what would become very emotional moments in the Craig era. So you can see the producers and the writing kind of leaning into this direction, adding more emotional weight to Bond, making him more of a human, a person, rather than just a action figure. And you can tell he cares about the situation because he's out to potentially kill who used to be his best friend. That's pretty heavy. But does he have a choice? It's between queen and country or a best friend who's trying to destroy it. What will you choose? Who will you choose? That's heavy. We've never seen a Bond have to make this kind of decision before. It's not just erasing bank records. 
It's everything on every computer in Greater London. Tax records, stock market, credit ratings, land registries, criminal records. In 16 minutes and 43 and no, 42 seconds, the United Kingdom will re-enter the Stone Age. A worldwide financial meltdown. And also, mad little Ali can settle a score with the world 50 years on. Oh, please, James, spare me the Freud. I might as well ask you if all the vodka martinis ever silenced the screams of all the men you've killed. Yeah. Or if you find forgiveness in the arms of all those willing women for all the dead ones you failed to protect. England is about to learn the cost of betrayal. Inflation adjusted for 1945. Welcome to the party, my dear. For all the dead ones you failed to protect. Ouch, low blow. Dagger. Right in the back. There's a lot going on there to impact, but he could mean a lot of things by that. Obviously, in the Bond franchise, James has lost uh, a myriad of female accomplices and could also be a reference to the time he was married in Honor Majesty's Secret Service and his wife was killed right in front of him in that one. Could go either way, but a nice little callback if nothing else. And with the other kind of digs, again, this is spy versus spy, best friend versus best friend. So who knows him better than that? And it lends itself to set up a great finale and one of the better hand-to-hand combat fights in the franchise that during the editing of the movie they decided they had a score for it and they were like you know what the tension and stakes can be raised even more if we just don't if we just have the sounds of the fists you know hitting each other and kind of the brutal real nature throughout the fight and the fight choreography is awesome too and I think Martin Campbell's direction elevated this even further. He would always go kind of tight on the dialogue and the exposition scenes and then wide on the action so you could see everything it encompassed. So those are some scenes, some scenes. I would love to do every scene from this movie because I love it so much. Obviously, recording and playing an action scene for you guys wouldn't lend itself but there are so many good sequences in this the tank chase through st petersburg the fights on the cradle at the end the opening sequence i mean rides a motorcycle chasing a plane off a runway dives off the motorcycle to get to the plane midair save it title sequence it's awesome so i hope you guys check out the film it's my favorite of the series i think a lot of people's favorite in the series it was a reboot, it, it elevated things that were to come for the series, and Pierce Brosnan is just such a good James Bond. And I think he gets a bad rap because his last film was less than desirable. I low-key kind of enjoy it on its own level, but he could have rolled out of the bed and nailed the part. So now we play the fun game that everyone plays at parties. Do you know who's in that film? And luckily we have pretty much only one person that I think is worth talking about and we can get to something fun after that the the actor Cheeky Cario and I hope I'm saying that right maybe not it's a very French name even if you look it up I dare you to guess how that's spelled 
Uh, but he plays defense minister Mishkin in this film, kind of a small part. But he is in so many things. One of the more famous that you probably know him from is he was the French uh, colonel in The Patriot. So yeah, only one actor I think we're talking about in the category of, you know who's in that film. But that'll lend itself to talking about, because you can't talk about the film without mentioning the video game, the N64 video game, GoldenEye, which shaped so many childhoods. I don't even know how you could quantify how many hours I've played or how many anyone in the world has played when that game came out on Nintendo 64. It changed the landscape of the multiplayer on the Nintendo 64. And the single-player missions were just as fun. But God help me if I have to play another that would require me to protect Natalia. Because she would just run into a hail of gunfire, die, then you fail the mission. And you gotta start all over. You get 99% way there. And then she dies, and you gotta start all over. Sucked. If you're listening and you've played the video game and you play those missions, I know you know my pain. I know it. But besides all that, hours upon hours binged, sleepovers, sleepless nights playing with friends, trying not to screen look because you all had to sit around the same TV back in the day. Wasn't like it is, you know, you're playing somebody across the internet you had to stare at the same screen. So it was pretty easy if you really wanted to, to pick off somebody. But man, loved that. I still play it today. No odd job. But you can find me in the facility, the Golden Gun, at me. Probably take your lunch money. But it was revolutionary. I don't know what else to say about it. <laughs> that's going to wrap up GoldenEye, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. And we'll catch you next time on Flicks with Gritch. But would an audience need that? Would they believe they needed that?